Well, good morning. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we do ask that you would open our ears to hear your word. We do ask that you will open our eyes to see your truth. And we do ask that you open up our hearts to allow the truth to impact us. Lord, we pray for each one of us in this room, whether we are a follower of you, um, whether we are still seeking if you are true or not, whether we know we don't believe. Lord, each one of us uh, were created by you and you speak to us. And I pray you would use your spirit now to speak to us wherever we are. In your name, amen. So one of the best comic strips, in my humble opinion, is the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes. If you are not familiar with this comic, uh, you could come by my office anytime you want. I have a bunch of books that you could borrow of Calvin and Hobbes, and you won't be disappointed. In Calvin and Hobbes, there is this precocious little six-year-old with his stuffed tiger. Calvin loves to play with his tiger Hobbes, and they have all these adventures together. And one of the adventures that they have together is they play a game called Calvin Ball. Now, Calvin Ball is a game where there are no rules. Basically, the rules are made up as they go along in the game. Calvin or Hobbes can change up the game anytime they want. They can add things and take away things from the game. And this happens every time they play. So no two Calvin Ball games are the same. I actually think Calvin Ball is a good illustration at times when it comes to faith, church, and what we believe or don't believe as followers of Jesus. It seems like sometimes churches and denominations and followers of Jesus are playing Calvin Ball when it comes to what they believe are the essentials to believe or not believe. Sometimes it seems like people add to the gospel and they take things that are not essential and make them essential in order for you to be accepted by God. And sometimes people play Calvin Ball by acting like there are no essentials at all. You can believe this. I can believe this. It doesn't matter. Whatever works is fine. I think the sermon series that we're in right now on the Apostles' Creed is a great way to fight against Calvin Ball and our beliefs. This ancient creed that has been recited and believed throughout history by all sorts of followers of Jesus is a great foundation to know what we profess to believe. I am grateful that we get to see the essentials of our faith found in this ancient creed. To know what we need to believe about God, about his son Jesus, about the church, and so on. And so it is good for us to take this time as a church to look at this creed. And we are the third week into this series. And this morning we're going to look at the part of the creed where we confess that we believe that God is the maker of heaven and earth, that God is one who creates. Now, there are many passages in Scripture that I could have turned to to use for this sermon, including the first chapter in all of the Bible. But I decided on this song that David wrote, this beautiful song he wrote about the God who created the world. So we're going to look at Psalm 8 together. You can follow along in a Bible or in the order of worship. Or you can just listen as I read. David writes these words. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. 
When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and the beasts of the field, the birds of heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is God's word, and it is given to us for our good. So in 1969, my parents bought a large painting from a Pope Brothers on the northwest side of Chicago. This beautiful painting of flowers was in my house as I grew up. And so we have pictures of me as a baby on our couch with the painting behind us. We have pictures of me as a toddler reading books with my parents with the painting behind us. We have pictures of me dressed up for a school dance in high school with the picture behind us. And about 14 years ago, my parents gave this painting to my wife and I. And since then, we have had it up in our various homes that we have lived in. And so now we have pictures of all four of our kids in front of this painting as well. I love this painting. It's one of my favorite decorations in our whole house, and I treasure it greatly and appreciate my parents giving it to us. But I wish I knew who the artist was. We've always seen on the front of the painting, there's a little, uh, looks like his name, artist's name in the corner, but we've never been able to figure out who the artist was. And recently, we just moved. And as I was moving that painting, for the first time in the 14 years we've had the painting, I noticed that on the back, it looks like there was the name of the artist. I was very excited. I Googled the name. I Googled the name plus the word artist. I Googled the name and the word artist and Polk Brothers. I even Googled the name and Polk Brothers in 1969, and I came up with nothing. I cannot know and do not know still who this artist is. I still love the painting, but I just think it would be awesome for me to have an idea at least why he painted the way he did, or some of the background of this artist, if he did other works. Well, today we're going to talk about the creation of the world, the creation of the heavens and the earth, but our goal is not to talk about the how of creation, but about the who of creation. Look, we can look at and talk about the sea and the sky and the sun and the moon and the stars. We can watch birds in flight and fish in the sea. We can see the vegetation and the insects and animals in our world. We can study and marvel at the complexity of human beings and be in awe. But greater than that, more amazing than that, is we get to see the artist of it all. We get to meet in this psalm the one who is the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of everything that is created. We believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. The creed does not say we believe in the created world or we believe in the work of creation. No, it says what scripture says. We believe in the God of creation. The words of the creed, maker of heaven and earth, derive from the first words of Scripture. And this psalm before us is a wonderful call to praise and worship our God as creator of all. Psalm 8 begins and ends with this words about this great artist. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
God's name is majestic in all the earth. The name of the creator completely floods the earth with his majesty. Unlike me and the painting we have in our house, we know the name of the artist. And his name and his glory is found everywhere. The theologian John Calvin said, The world that God created is the theater of his glory. Perhaps Calvin was thinking about the second part of this verse 1, where it says God's glory is above the heavens. Someone's glory was their essence. It was the weight of their being. So I want you to think about what this one verse is saying. God's name and God's essence, God's being, permeates the earth and transcends the heavens. It's no wonder that David seems to get overwhelmed with this song of praise to God. It's no wonder as David examines the world around him, he finds himself in awe. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set into place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Now, while God does not have physical dimensions, this imagery of the heavens and the earth being moved around and put into place by the fingers of God Almighty show the extravagant power of God. This image of God's fingers moving and working shows the vastness and the might of our Creator. And this God is still today at work in creation. Creation is not just a simple event in the distant past that we read about. We begin in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but God's creative power is by no means exhausted. I mean, Psalms like this one, or Psalm 104, or Psalm 115 celebrate creation as an ongoing wonder. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament picks up this idea of resurrection life in Jesus, calling it new creation. That God is transforming and creating us to become more and more like his son Jesus. And in the last book of the Bible, we're going to see the beautiful truth one day of the old and the new coming together. The old creation and the new creation coming to form the new heavens and earth. God is constantly and presently active in creation today. So then what is our response to this? What is the application to this, if this is true? Well, the first application for us is to worship the God of creation. This psalm, including all the psalms in our Bible, was meant to be sung by the people of God in worship of God. We are called to praise and worship the maker of heaven and earth. That's what this whole psalm is about. But specifically, if we look at verse 2, we get another picture of what type of worship is expected. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Now what this verse is saying is that even the young mouths, even the youngest members of creation were made to worship. From the glory of the heavens to the mouths of babies on the earth, there is to be worship of God. And as well, babies and infants here symbolize human weakness and humility before God. While the enemies and the avengers in this verse symbolize human strength and arrogance, what we find in Scripture is that those who think they're good enough or strong enough by themselves rarely turn to God in praise. And those who know that they are weak and needy are given by God's strength in order to worship Him. 
So which one are we today? Are we those who worship God in humility and weakness? Or are we too self-assured to never go before God in worship? Listen, we were made to worship. We were made to give worth to things. All of us in this room, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, all of us in this room worship things. We give worth to things. But the question is, what or who are we worshiping? And if we are followers of Jesus, the question we have to ask is, are we ever in awe of God in our lives? Are we ever blown away, not just by what God does, but by who God is? Do you ever pause and just think about the power and the immensity of our God? I'll be honest with you, I have not thought about God as powerful and almighty in a a long time. I was convicted as I began to work on this sermon and the many hours I put into studying this passage that I realized I haven't thought about these things in a long time. I, I don't know why, but here we have God's power on display in creation and many of us, myself for sure, don't really get moved by it that much. Are we too jaded to be in awe? Are we too distracted to be in awe? Are we too self-consumed with our own kingdoms and our own desires and our own needs to be in awe? Are we just not interested in being moved by God and his power? Well, if we have to answer yes to any of those questions I just asked, what are we to do? How do we practically grow in worship and awe of God? Well, David looked up at the stars and it moved him to worship. I hate to break it to you, but here in Chicago, we will never see those type of stars that will help us worship God. But while we don't have the vast beauty of the stars before us like David did, we have something even greater than he did. We actually have more scientific knowledge about this creation than David ever had. We know, for example, how relatively small the Earth is in this small galaxy we are in with the billions of solar systems throughout the heavens. We know how vast and huge the heavens are. We know God created the seas and how huge and large, and there are places in the oceans that we have not even discovered yet fully. And God has made them all. And not only that, if scientific facts don't move us, think about this for a moment. The God who created all things, the God who is all-powerful, created not only the heavens and the earth, but he created you. He created me. Why? Why did God create women and men? Out of his sheer fatherly kindness and compassion. He created us because he wanted us to be here. He created us because he wants to be in relationship with us. The God of the universe wants to be in relationship with us. We don't deserve it. We often run away from it. But God in love still pursues us because he created us and he loves us. Now, if it is true that God is the maker of all things and you have to decide that for yourself, then that means that the whole vastness of creation was made for us. No wonder David asks this question when he ponders this. What is man that are you mindful of him? 
the Son of Man, that you care for him. It feels like David, in the midst of this song, has a moment where he sees his weakness, he sees his insignificance, and he's wondering out loud, what are you doing, God? Why would you even care about me? This question of who we are, that's a part of human nature. We all have that question. And if we look around at the world and the vastness of creation, it's going to make us wonder, where is our place in this world? Where do we fit? And when we ask that question, and if we examine how God answers that question, we, like David, will get overwhelmed with the maker of heaven and earth's response to our inadequacies, to our weakness, and to how insignificant we are. If the scriptures are to be believed, then the scriptures, including our passage today, says that God is mindful of us. That the God who makes all things knows you personally. That God remembers you. That God thinks about you all the time. That God cares for you. What does this actually look like? What does it mean when David says that God is mindful of us and he cares for us? Well, the psalmist gives us a pretty good and amazing description in the next verse. He says, we have been made a little lower than the heavenly beings. We've been made lower than the angels above, lower than the heavenly beings. That's just crazy. And not only that, but it says we have been crowned with glory and honor. And we've been given dominion over God's, the works of God's hands. These are some pretty amazing truths to ponder. We have been crowned with glory and honor. Remember I said earlier that glory was what God displayed in the heavens. Glory was God's own essence and weight above all other things. And now it's told to us that we receive that glory. We are crowned with that glory. Despite the magnitude of all creation... Despite how insignificant in and of ourselves we truly are, the scriptures are clear. Human beings are created by God and are given significance and honor above everything else that he has created. David is describing in these verses what the creation account in Genesis 1 talks about, how we were created in God's image. That the things that God exhibits perfectly, we get to exhibit as well, even if it is imperfectly. So, for example, God is a creator, and we get to create things. Many of you are artists and and creative because your God created you that way. We get to love because God is a God of love. God is a lover. So we get to love. We get to show mercy and care for things like justice and kindness and gentleness because that is who God is. We get to reflect God's glory in this world around us. We were made to be image bearers of God. And to each one of us, it says he has bestowed upon us glory and honor. If we could just believe that for a little bit, it would go a long way to help us fight against that voice in our head that tells us we're dumb, we're slow, We're unloving. We're unloved. We're not good enough. If we could believe just a little bit this amazing truth that God sees us as his children made in his image, we will stop 
comparing ourselves to others. And we will stop wondering what's wrong with us. If we could just believe that God has given us all this glory and honor, we could stand up against the lies of the devil and the world and our flesh that tells us God is disappointed in us. God is upset at us. God is uninterested in us. Listen, when you look at yourself, when you examine your life, when you reflect upon who you are and what you're doing and what's going on in your day-to-day life, what do you see? When you're quiet and alone in your thoughts, what do you hear about yourself? When you walk into a room, what do you think people are saying about you or thinking about you? What voice do you hear most in your life? A voice of condemnation? A voice of disappointment? A voice of disgust? So many of us hear these voices, and it's killing us. And what if instead of these voices, we heard the voice of God saying, You are my child. You are my treasured possession. You are who I chose to give honor and glory to. I hope we as a church can be a place where we remind ourselves that God is mindful of us, that God loves us, that God considers us his great joy, that God celebrates us and crowns us with glory and honor. I hope in everything we do as a church, we can remind ourselves of this truth, that you are loved, that you have glory and honor. Please believe that today, church. And also, we need to be a church that reminds us that others around us have this glory and honor as well. Even those people that drive us crazy or rub us the wrong way are made in the image of God. It is so easy to look down upon other people. It is so easy, especially if they just disagree with us or they're just difficult to be around. To see them as image bearers of God is very hard at times. Perhaps it is your coworkers that you don't see glory and honor in. Perhaps it's your neighbors that you don't see worthy of love. Perhaps it's the homeless person asking you for money again and again that you don't think is created in God's image. Perhaps it's that person on social media you can't stand their opinions on. Do we see any of them as objects of God's love and affection? Believing that God is the maker of heaven and earth means we believe God's glory and honor is everywhere. That means in the Colorado mountains and on the Appalachian Trail. That means at dusk when we look out at the skyline of our city. And that means the person in front of us who cut us off in traffic. All of them display the glory of God. Our world is broken and messy. Our world is not the way it's supposed to be. But we are called to believe this truth. That God has given us this world to enjoy and to celebrate, and how often do we abuse it? God has called us to be stewards of this creation, and how often do we ignore this call? God has given us dominion over the works of his hands, and all of us fail at this miserably. Verses 6 through 8 in this psalm relate to the call that we find in the creation account to rule and subdue the earth. Since the beginning of creation, God has set apart humans to take care of his creation. 
Now, people have differing opinions of what this looks like and what does it mean to care for creation and what does it mean to, to protect creation. Whether we disagree on things or not, here's one thing we should agree upon. Ruling and subduing the earth doesn't mean we get to do whatever we want with this earth. And we have a responsibility to care for God's creation, and that means all of God's creation, including the people created in his image. But let's be honest, we fail at this in our lives. In fact, we fail at every single thing I've talked about in this sermon. We don't worship God like we should. We don't always believe that we're crowned in honor and glory. We don't treat others like they're creating in God's image. And we aren't stewards of God's creation in the way that he calls us to. But we have hope because of what Jesus has done. You know, our, Old, our New Testament lesson and our gospel lesson pointed to the fact that Jesus was a part of creation. And in Hebrews, it talks about the fact that we don't see creation as perfect yet. One day we will. One day all things will be made right. But until that day, what we do see, Hebrews said, is Jesus. Jesus came as the true Son of Man to set us free from our sins. Jesus fulfilled all the things we fail to fulfill at daily. In fact, in the, the lesson from Hebrews that Jenny read for us, it talks about this verse, and it talks about this psalm, and it talks about glory and honor being given to Jesus. But listen again to the verse and how it says Jesus got this glory and honor. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The good news is that the God who is the maker of heaven and earth knows that we fail to live out our calling to worship him and serve him. So he sent his son to die for us. And he received glory and honor as he took on our sins on the cross so that we can have life and salvation. And now his name is the most majestic name in all the earth. His name is to be praised and given honor and glory as the rightful king. And so what we praise God with at the beginning and the end of this psalm is what we praise Jesus with as well. That though we fail miserably, he provides all we need for hope and salvation. And so, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May we believe this. May we live this truth out in our day-to-day lives. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your glory. We thank you for your worthiness to be praised. And I pray that we will do this with our lives, with our voices, with our minds, with the way we care and love others, and with the way we serve you and those created in your image. In your holy name, amen.